Today is June the 6th. Does God encourage war? Let's find out together as we study Deuteronomy 19 to 21. Today, as we read through the Bible in a year, I'd love for you to read that. Deuteronomy 19, 20, and 21. As we work our way through the book of Deuteronomy, we see some things that uh, they may leave us a little bit concerned. Here, from 19 to 21, the, uh, he treats uh, the issues of homicide and manslaughter. He uh, talks about justice, but... Chapter 20 is an entire chapter dedicated to the concept of war. Now, beginning in chapter 21, uh, he talks about what to do when you find someone who has obviously been murdered, but you don't know who they did, uh, who did it. Um, then he kind of uh, inserts uh, something about marrying a captive woman, the product of war the rights of the firstborn, and uh, then ends up chapter 21 talking about a rebellious son when a son is stubborn and won't obey. In verse 21 of chapter 21, he is actually to be stoned to death. And then in verse 22, uh, Moses talks about not leaving a person hanging from a tree after you have executed capital punishment on him. It seems like these three chapters deal with the issue of war and capital punishment. Now, those are uncomfortable for us today. Uh, in fact, there are those who think that the God of the Old Testament is very different from the God of the New Testament. I can see why they would feel that way, frankly. But it seems to me that we have to recognize a couple of things. First of all, we need to recognize that war is not God's perfect will. God would have preferred that all men uh, live together in peace. But we live in a fallen world. War is a reality, and we need to deal with it. God, if he is involved with man in that reality, must deal with the issue of war. Secondly, capital punishment. Capital punishment is also not God's perfect will. He originally wanted all men to live together in peace and harmony. But the reality is we live in a fallen world. Things happen. Man treats other men horribly. And as a result, um, God authorizes for certain sins capital punishment. He authorizes it for murder. He authorizes it for kidnapping. He actually authorizes it for adultery, and here in this chapter, even for a rebellious son. Now, it seems to me that when God authorizes it, 
he authorizes it as a deterrent for the crime that has been committed. There's a man named Peter Craigie. He's an Old Testament scholar. He wrote a book called The Problem of War in the Old Testament. In the middle of that book, trying to deal with the problem of war, he looks at passages like Deuteronomy 20. In Deuteronomy 20, the Lord says, when you go in to capture the land that I'm giving you, annihilate the people, kill not only the armies, but kill the old men, kill the women, kill even the children. In looking at that, Craigie makes a very astute observation. He says that we have tried to make war civilized. Uh, we have uh, laws that all nations are supposed to operate by in war. Uh, we certainly can't enforce that. They're just agreements that we've all kind of uh, agreed with and to a greater or lesser degree attempt to adhere to. When someone doesn't adhere to them, uh, we call them a war criminal. The interesting thing is that the war criminals typically are in the losing side. I can't remember of anyone accused of being a war criminal from the winning side of a war. There's a line in the movie, The Princess Bride, when the man in black is following uh, the kidnapped princess and the giant stands in front of him blocking his way. The giant has a rock and he can throw the rock, crush the man in black's head at any point in time. And he says to the man in black, put down your sword, I'll put down my rock and uh, we'll fight each other hand to hand as God intended. The man in black responds, you mean I'll put down my sword, you'll put down your rock, and we'll kill each other like civilized men. Yeah, that's what the giant wanted. That's kind of what we want today. Craigie simply observes, war is not civilized. He makes the statement that it may well be that um, total annihilation, killing all the members of a particular society, may be uh, the most humane thing to do. If you just kill the men, then you leave that society susceptible to constant attack and raid of its enemies its women and children to be taken as slaves. It may be that total annihilation is the most humane thing to do. No matter what, the New Testament does present a new reality. In the Old Testament, belonging to God's kingdom meant belonging to the political state of Israel. And there were ways in which you could become a member of Israel if you weren't born into Israel. In the New Testament, being a member of God's kingdom is all about a transformed life and a transformed community. There's tension in the New Testament. 
In Romans 13, we're told to respect the state. But in Jesus' command, we're told when a person acts against us with violence, we are to turn the other cheek. So what do we do? We started saying, does God encourage war? Well, there was a time in the Old Testament when he certainly did. It appears in the New Testament that that time is past. Now, we belong to states, and those states do go to war. I think we're left as Christians to determine, as a matter of conscience, whether we participate in that war or whether we become what in the United States is called a conscientious objector. I understand both sides of that argument. And I wouldn't say that uh, Scripture embraces one and denies the other. I think that's something that we're left to do as Christians. The reality, though, is that we need to become members of the transformed community, God's new kingdom, so that we can transform and love even our enemies. Like, follow, and subscribe to this devotional on whatever platform you use to listen to it. Email your questions to us at questions at becomehope.com. Tomorrow, we'll address the question, where did the Israelites go to the bathroom?